My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. Once again, I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And we are now on part two of the premiere of episode seven. Our episode is with Josh Peck, and we are continuing our theme of this season, which is entrepreneurship. Now, I just want to stop you there. If you haven't listened to part one, Josh Peck uh, part one interview, which was last week's, go do that right now because you're going to want to have that for context on what we are talking about today. Now, as a reminder, Josh is out with a new book, Happy People Are Annoying, about his entrepreneurial approach to life and show business. And as you know from last week, those of you who listen, if you haven't listened yet, go back and listen. Josh is best known for his role on the Nickelodeon phenomenon, Drake and Josh, for which he received a Kids' Choice nomination Currently, he is on Disney Plus's Turner and Hooch. He is also on How I Met Your Father on Hulu and the iCarly reboot on Paramount+. Plus. The guy is on all the networks. He's also on all the socials. You can find him on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, where he has more than 32 million fans. And you can go to his website, shuapak.com. That's like Joshua without the J-O in the beginning. And you can find links to all of those things. So that's where you find Josh. But next, you're going to find him in this conversation, which we're about to recommence. But before we do, I do want to remind you of my small ask from last week and see if you went to check out my LinkedIn course, Navigating FOMO at Work. It's out there. It's new. Came out in January. Thousands of people are taking it. And if you want to check it out, just go to LinkedIn Learning and search for Navigating FOMO at Work or go to patrickmcginnis.com where there is a nice tab called Learn, which has my audio course on Himalaya. It has this course, has all the the learning that I'm trying to bring into the world. So go check it out. Let me know what you think. Just go check it out. I'm really proud of it. And I, and I just want more people to, I guess, experience it now, because this is not your usual show where, you know, we're just having a new guest. We're repeating from last week. I don't get to ask my favorite question about the big decision. And so we're just going to pick up where we left off last week. And this was when Josh was early on in his Vine sort of career, and he was using it to monetize his followers directly, which wasn't a big thing back in the early 2010s. And he sort of, he got into it early and was a real success in this space. So we're going to pick it up there. It's a happy time. But you know, like I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, whenever there's sunshine, there are some clouds that could be coming down the pike. And Pretty soon, things kind of fall apart for Josh in terms of Vine, and then his show is canceled, and he has to figure out how to pivot. So we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about how to deal with rejection, stress, self-doubt, and the mental health challenges of living an entrepreneurial life. So here we go, picking up from last week. I hope you enjoy. Now, for people who don't remember, Vine was kind of like, I guess, I mean, is it fair to say it was kind of like TikTok before TikTok? Oh, more than fair. It really was the original TikTok. Yeah. So TikTok, it comes along and you just jump on there kind of just in a very sort of like experimental way. 
and it blows up and you're able to actually create a revenue stream for yourself in a way you never had before. So tell us about that. So I was, you know, 26 years old. And again, I had spent my entire career at sort of the mercy of the gatekeepers. And so many people had a say in whether or not I would get a job and then inevitably make a paycheck from that job, be it producers, executive, casting people. And I think that's why you see so many actors go nuts over the years, even if they do find success, because it's so, uh, it's just, there's no metrics. It's at least in sports, like if your stats are at a certain level, like it's irrefutable, like you can't, you can't deny it. And unless you're like a total jerk, if you're playing at an elite level and you have the stats to support that, you're probably going to find some success. But in acting, like you just, it's too, uh, I don't know if a, uh, it's, it's elusive, it's, it's ineffable, it's, it's just you can't exactly put your finger on it. And so I found myself at that moment a little bit like, in fear that my life was going to be in this holding pattern of constantly waiting for validation and permission from, from other people. So Vine comes out amongst the initial sort of Instagram, Vine, Twitter, the early social media apps. It's six second videos. And basically we saw that really funny videos or prank videos or stunts or you know, things going badly, like people falling down were all sort of the things that really would soar on Vine. And I was just a fan. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we would shoot each other videos back and forth. And one day she said, give it a try. So I shoot a video and I upload it and I get a couple views and more than I thought, a couple thousand. So I make a few more videos and by the next week, I'm now like on the cover of the Vine sort of main page when people would log on to the app. It's the most popular video of the day. And another couple of weeks go by, and now I've got like hundreds of thousands of followers. And I was lucky enough to have a friend, my buddy Rami, who was in social media early on. And I talk about this in the book a lot of finding your apostles and the people that help lead you throughout your journey. And and Rami, I was I was sort of at this inflection point because I felt like I was starting to get recognized for Vine. And I thought, if I continue this, I'm certainly going to make it known that I've really leaned into the social media thing. And in 2014, that was just so rare for someone from traditional TV and movies to embrace this side of the business. And I knew that I could either lean in or stop making it and people would eventually forget that I'd ever done it in the first place. And my friend Rami said, don't let anyone tell you what this is because no one knows even I don't, and I work in it. He said, but being able to create content for hundreds of thousands of people, getting their feedback, seeing what they like, what they don't like, and everything in between, that's powerful. So do this. In fact, do it every day. And of course, you know, within six months, I'm the number one person on the app with millions of followers. And then it grew my Instagram and Twitter, and all of a sudden everything's firing. And like I say in the book, you know, it only made sense that investors came and Fortune 500 companies came soon after because, you know, no one's paying a 10x multiple for a Super Bowl commercial for love of the game, right? They do it because it has the most size. And so once I saw that I had this audience, I knew that, you know, brands and people who support this kind of thing were going to come calling 
And when I made my first paycheck, I remember it was August of 2014. I made $5,000 from, from Vine for a dating app. And, and then I made uh, four of those videos in one month. And suddenly I was like, oh my God. Now, it's a good amount of money. It's not like life-changing money. But suddenly I could walk into an audition without that air of, oh God, I need this so I can pay my rent. And I've leaned in ever since. I'm curious. So as somebody who worked for companies and then started working for myself and selling, you know, speaking and, you know, the stuff that I books and all this sort of stuff, like I would get a check that was probably, you know, what I made in a week or, or, or less and maybe even a small check. And it felt better than like all the checks I got working for somebody else, even though maybe it wasn't as big. It was like it, I was like elated. Is that how you felt when you would get these like these Vine opportunities? It was like sales. It was so direct. And mm. I, nothing was better than once I got on YouTube because they have the Google AdSense model. So you're literally making money the moment you upload something. You're not yeah. waiting for a company to reach you and say, we want to you know, do a campaign with you. You're making money for the Starbucks ad that YouTube put on before your video. And yes, to be able to see like the harder I work, the better the result was one of the most pivotal moments in my life. Cause as I said before, like your paychecks become so few and far between as a working actor, unless you're on a TV show or you are like the ultimate 1% of really successful, you know, film actors that it starts to feel like it's by chance. Like the fact that you can make 60 or 70 grand in the year from doing a job is like, it just seems random. So yeah, making, you know, I, I, I remember I had to set up a PayPal account to accept that money that first came in for that dating app fee. And I would just like refresh this app every couple of weeks and be like, wow, like I can pay my rent for the rest of the year now. I don't have to sweat it. And that was so freeing because everyone I knew who was an actor at my level was sweating. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. FOMO. Yeah, it creates this scarcity mindset. I heard an interesting story a couple of years back. I used to live in the West Village, and I was just a couple blocks away from where Seth Meyers lived at the time. Mm. And um, we had a friend in common because he'd gone to Northwestern with somebody that I went to business school with. And so I, I was, she was telling me that even when he got on SNL, he, he had lived in a pretty small apartment, like a walk up, whatever, you know, inexpensive rent control kind of thing. And he stayed there a lot longer than he needed to, because like many people in the situation you describe, you know, and, and this, this is, again, this isn't just creative people. It's people who are building something and, and don't have a stable paycheck. It's like, you're like, well, listen, I, this works for me right now. I don't know if this is going to continue. So like, I'm not going to spend money to live a little bit better because I just don't know. Right. And so there is this like kind of, even though you're, you're, you're taking a very a, a series of risks in your day job, there's a real risk aversion in terms of the finances. Oh, totally. And, and I don't know if this exactly translates to the traditional business world, but I'm sure it can't hurt. And, and it always makes you better because it makes you full, a fuller human being. But like, it's important to live a, a interesting life. And mm -hmm. so many of the actors I know, you know, got into their thirties and forties and they didn't have a wife. They didn't have kids because they were always at the mercy of the business. And so they never felt comfortable saying like, I might take this leap and then not be able to support them and possibly have to find another job just to be able to support, you know, this lifestyle I've built. And I remember specifically like my buddies, you know, in moments where I would be, you know, sort of stressing over getting a getting work or or just going through a lull in my my career. Successful friends of mine would say, "Go take a trip." you are not your khakis. I'd be like, take a trip. I can't take a trip. Like, I, I, I have to be ready for an audition that comes. Or like, if you are at the behest of the business at every turn, you're just going to become like, you're you're going to become a slave to it. You, you must live. You've got to get out of this. And so I remember when I made that first check, my wife and I got invited on this trip, which I would have never gone on normally because it was to Asia and it was it, it seemed extravagant. It, you know, we flew economy plus. I don't want to brag, but um, <laughs> but I immediately made that money and I called my wife. I said, let's book the trip. Let's go with your friends. Let's go like tour around Indonesia. This sounds awesome because I finally felt comfortable and a byproduct of that little bit of security and embracing that entrepreneurial spirit was I got to have this cool experience, which then would beget more success. Yeah, you got to celebrate the wins because they don't come around all the time, right? Yeah, and also just like, don't be, you know, I remember I was, you know, I, I remember I was 23 years old and I didn't know I was going, I was entering in one of like the most challenging sort of decades of my career. And I had a, a I, this was originally in the book and then I, I wound up not including it, but it's one of my favorite stories. I had an interview with Alex Young or a, a meeting who was the president of Fox Studios at the time, like the, the, the movie studio portion. 
And, you know, we're having a general meeting, which these things are never great. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on them, but they're usually just like lip service to make your agent or manager feel like they've actually been doing some work for you. Mm. And I'll never forget that Alex was so kind to sit me down and say, can I just give you some advice? And I said, sure. And he goes, you're 23 years old. You're not a man. Nobody wants to watch a boy. So I would suggest you spend the next 10 years of your life living and not worried about pilot season and not stressing about the next gig or who's doing better than you or why you need to be this far, far along in your career. He's like, I, I suggest you go out and have experience because it will make you a more interesting, fully fledged adult and actor so that when your time really comes, you're prepared instead of just being like, this, you know, shell of a guy who was who was a slave to what every casting director told him. Now, it's easier said than done because I didn't ha necessarily have the financial security to just not sweat it. But mm. his words resonated in my ear of like, get busy living, because if you're obsessed with with kind of the markers of this business, it, it you know, it's never going to make you happy. That's very good advice. And I didn't take sometimes it, but it was it's, good. <laughs> well, it's, it is. It's hard to hear, right? And you're like, okay, that's good. Like, I got to pay the bills. Right. Now, <laughs> you talk about, so we just told this happy story about Vine. I'm feeling good. I'm excited for you. And then, <laughs> and then you book a show, a TV show with John Stamos, Uncle Jesse, called Grandfathered on Fox, I believe. Yes. And so things are, things are looking up. And then, you know, because, you know, it's your, it's, again, it's so much like an entrepreneurial journey. Like within a short period of time, the show is canceled after one season. And then this is the part that's like crazy to me. And I remember this and like, you know, Vine is acquired by Twitter and they just shut it down. Right. And so overnight, like your cash cow, just like, go, it's gone. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be talking about the, the sort of the massive gaffe that was, the the vine story in in annals of business schools like hbs forever right like mm. because it just vine should have been tiktok but for what, whatever reason it wasn't and here i was when i started social media the whole idea of it was for me that i didn't seem to have that extra thing like a lot of times i would make it to where i knew that there was two or three people up for a job for a, a part in a movie or a tv show and then they would just have something that was like they were just coming off a cool movie. They had heat, you know, they had something that that little intangible thing that I never quite had. So with getting popular on social media, my hope was because I never stopped acting. I never stopped auditioning was if a forward thinking executive sees it's between me and another guy for a role and we're both qualified. But he says, well, go with the guy who's got a bigger following so he can help sell the movie. I would gladly take that that advantage and that certainly happened with grandfathered i think i was the right guy to play john stamos's son which i wish i could teleport and tell 13 year old chubby josh that one day we'd be able to pass for stamos's son <laughs> pretty good <laughs> um, but so here it was like an uh, to your point it's looking good you know i like the social media thing worked out to my advantage and i made a little dough but most importantly I'm getting the thing that I always wanted, uh, a proper role on a proper TV show. But of course, you know, as most things go, it got canceled. It didn't work out. So I said, okay, well, I don't have to worry. I have this 
sort of backup plan, this other great job that I've been cultivating. And then that goes to shit. And I'm like, oh no. Like my whole life has been one gigantic pivot. Like I was a chubby guy and that worked. And then I lost weight and had to figure out how that was going to happen. And then, you know, and, and pivoting and, and getting sober and then pivoting from traditional to social media and then back to traditional. And now I have to go back to social media, but what I originally had doesn't work anymore. So it was in that moment that I decided to take a leap into YouTube, which was a massive sort of uh, vines were made on your phone and it was easy lifting and YouTube meant professional cameras and hours of editing and not only so much more of a time commitment, but also optically I knew that it was going to present to the business that I was dealing myself further into social media, which was still not quite seen as on par with traditional TV and movies. And that maybe I would be considered like a has-been or someone who was taking this weird consolation prize. Uh, and so that was what I faced when making that leap into YouTube. So this reminds so you, you write in the book, you say TV show canceled side hustle canceled. I had been balancing both worlds pretty well, but with Vine gone, I would have to pivot. And I love that you say pivot because pivot is, it's, you know, it's what companies do when they hit a wall. They like the product didn't work. We got to pivot. And you know, they, that's life. And, but it's also, it's just such like a startup term. Now as, as listeners know here, like my whole wall street career blew up in 2008 in the financial crisis. Wow. And I was like super lost for a couple of years. And my solution to that was basically to start investing and building a bunch of stuff and build a portfolio that's diversified that I've been able to grow. And like, even in the horrible pandemic, like did well. And so it kind of proved my thesis, but what I got away from that, you know, I was like going forward, I want autonomy and diversification so that no matter what happens, you know, if one thing goes badly over here, I still have all the other stuff. I'm curious, like, did that experience of just having something that, you know, was going, you know, well and important to you blow up, I guess, two things at that point, has that made you more interested in being diversified going forward? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, and I'm, uh, I, I would imagine you're a fan too of Scott Galloway and what he talks yes. about. Yeah. I mean, he's just a man. And, and it, you know, what he talks about too is this idea of like cultivating all your superpowers and it doesn't have to be one thing. And so I love when he says, assume you are not Beyonce, like that your immense talent will not only sort of blend with this, this perfect amount of hard work and good timing so that you become the, the biggest star in the world. And, and it doesn't mean don't follow your dreams. And it certainly doesn't mean don't go for what you're passionate about. But many times we do have many talents. And so for me, a byproduct of, of working for 20 years as a traditional actor meant, especially sitcoms and sticky kind of loud comedy, meant that I knew how to make a six second video better than most people that I knew how to work backwards from, you know, setting up a punchline and a setup um, that would allow for something with so little, you know, with such a short runway as six seconds. You know, I, I always say comedy is economy and no one ever says about a joke, you know, that could have been wordier. And, <laughs> and similarly with YouTube or podcasts or whatever, like, again, I suffered from that ego part, the vanity part of it, which was like, I grew up with where actors had a mystery about them. They weren't so accessible. And my dream was to be like getting to do more things with Sir Ben Kingsley and these great actors and Al Pacino, who I got to work with. 
and maybe not, you know, making silly videos where I'm eating hot chicken with buddies of mine. But I also embraced it like I had this other superpower that allowed me to be good at this thing and that it had been a result of how far I had gone in my career as an actor and that it didn't mean that that was over, but it meant that if inevitably I was going to get to where I wanted, it wasn't going to be in the way I expected. And I, when I interviewed Neil Brennan for my podcast, he said something great. He's like, you know, you'll probably get what you always wanted. It just won't be in the way you expected. And then he said, actually, you'll probably always get what you wanted, but by the time you get it, you won't want it anymore. So I had to be willing to do it someone else's way. And for me, that's sort of been a, a huge part of the entrepreneurial spirit is this idea of like deviating from my plans and taking the next indicated action. FOMO. FOMO. I'm curious, have you done uh, angel investing? I, I haven't, but and, uh, probably for the same reason why I'm afraid of Bitcoin. Like, <laughs> like me I'm, too. I'm, I like, if I, if there's a Bitcoin in the room, I go under the bed. I'm so afraid of it. I know. It's I, amazing. It's just, and I'm like, I know this is a good idea. It's just, it's just different than what I'm like, you know, I, I invest in Amazon, you know, like, yeah, no, I hear you. Well, listen, I, I, we can talk about that later, but I, cause <laughs> I, I think, you know, somebody like you who has the sort of platform that you do could make some interesting investments, probably don't even need to put money, just get equity. And if you make interesting choices, those could pay off over the long run. There's no fast and easy money. I, I don't believe in that stuff, but, but, um, but there is an interesting opportunity for folks to do that. And you don't have to be Josh, by the way, it can be anybody, but you just have to know what you're doing and never bet more than you can lose. And I think, you know, that's, those are sort of like words to live by, Mm -hmm. but I agree. Like, that's why I don't play around with crypto is like, listen, people make money. I just don't get it. So like, I I, I don't know, man. I just, I like to sleep at night. No, I know it's a good idea. And my friend Casey Neistat is always like, just take like a little, even if it's a couple hundred bucks a week and split it between Ethereum and Bitcoin and, you know, buy it at whatever price it is and just amortize it over, you know, uh, over however long you hold on to it. But to your point, I don't, I don't completely understand it. So it scares me. Now, that's Casey has, I agree with that, but uh, I do want to talk the last bit, which is, um, which is a heavier subject, but equally important, obviously, mm. is, um, you know, being an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial thinker, doing things differently, hearing a lot of rejection, the stress, the ups and the downs. It's hard. Um, you know, mental health is not something people talked about openly until very recently. Now it is. And you talk about it in your book. So, you know, it's hard. I mean, we could go we could do an entire show on that. But um, I guess what have you if you were to just to distill, you know, people listening, you mentioned that you've you've you had challenges like distill kind of what maybe somebody who's having a tough time right now, like what would be from your own experience, like something you could offer to them to, to think about? I think, you know, mental hygiene is something we're really not taught. It's just assumed it in a Mm. weird way. It's the thesis of the book for me and, and even more so the title, which was this idea that I thought happiness was inherited. I thought it was like a trait through that, that you get in the womb and you either have it or you don't. And I assume most people receive like a playbook on how to get through life or a manual that I just didn't get a copy of. And so the book is really about me finding 
my own version of happiness, which for me wasn't a destination, it was an action. It was something that I got to do every single day and I found joy through doing um, and, and the journey towards contentment, the journey towards finding a little bit of peace. So I would say to anyone who's, who's found, you know, I, I think Alain de Botton, who's sort of like a modern day uh, philosopher, talks about like, we're taught to brush, you know, I, I taught my son how to brush his teeth at two. Like he only had seven teeth um, and he takes a bath every day or every other day when his mom and I are exhausted. Uh, but like, but I'm, I, I've yet to teach him about like dealing with his feelings and dealing with, you know, that part of his brain that might like tell him that he's not enough or obsess on the reasons why, like that, that things might not work out. So we're all facing that. And I think we were facing that no matter what, but now we've got the fun of Instagram and comparing ourselves to, you know, Tom Brady or Kylie Jenner or whoever else we see in media and all the reasons are doing so much better than we are. So what I would say is, is that you can't put the cart before the horse. I used to think that, you know, as long as I wrestled enough prestige and financial success and relationships from life, then I would arrive at this destination of happiness. But for me, it's about a good life being the result of good living and doing the right thing over and over, being of service to people, because inevitably, you know, help your fellows boat to the other side and yours too will cross. For me, that's sort of been like the greatest currency is this idea of when I do for others, I'm immediately repaid in full because of the feeling I get. It allows me to get out of self and it allows me to, to help them. But, you know, in a bigger way, it just allows you to set up goodwill amongst other people so that you're top of mind when they're in a position to help others. So I think that's important. You know, people with power are always getting asked for things, but it's like this idea of what, what can you bring to them that, that uh, can offer them something as well. If you had told me, that you were going to come on my podcast today and drop some Alain de Baton, I would have been very excited. That's that's nice. Oh, my that. man. <laughs> we're, we're kindred spirits, you and I. We yeah, like school of life. Stuff. Yeah, we do. We do. This is good. Uh, this is good. Now, I do want to, uh, you know, I think you've proven yourself to be quite the FOMO sapiens today. You like to do a lot of things successfully, but in order to do that, you have to say no. And so I would love you to share with us, like, cause I'm bad at that. So maybe you can fix me. How do you say no to stuff? Oh, no is so, you know, no is so powerful. And in many ways, it's like, if you start to think of it as when you're in a bad relationship, it's no matter what, even if it's very clearly bad for both people involved, being the breaker upper always hurts more than being broken up with. In their respect of like, it's, I shouldn't say it hurts more, it's more uncomfortable. Because mm -hmm. like, no one wants to be the one to cut things. And when I've had friends who've looked to me for advice in, in moments like that, I want to say like, imagine you're doing this person a favor who you're with. The, the longer you hold on to them and know that you're not in this fully, the, the less time they have to find the right person. So... I think the power of no is your ability in which to tell people in a kind, prompt way for them to look for other sources. Instead of trying to people please, instead of doing it begrudgingly, 
you know, it, it just allows them to get on with whoever they're going to consider next for their next thing. And my buddy, Brian Garrity, he's a great actor. He's been in flight and, you know, boardwalk empire and, and so many other great things. And he always talks about as an actor, he's like, when I approach a script, he's like, I really need to understand everything that's required of me. He's like, if I don't understand something, there's either two issues, either it's not, there's a problem in the writing. There's something unclear or something that doesn't make sense here that it has become unactable for me. Or if I've really put the work in and I still can't figure it out, then maybe I'm not the right guy for it. And I want to give them enough time to recast me. So it's like having the guts to be like, I might not be correct for this. And I want to give you the time to find the right person, be it in acting business or what have you. So no can really be a gift to other people and our people pleasing makes us miserable. And it can also really sabotage someone who, who just wanted to do the right thing to begin with. All right. The book is happy. People are annoying and you can find more of Josh's stuff on Instagram, on his prolific Instagram, which I like, it's at Shuapek, and I will spell that for you. It's like, take Joshua and take off the Joe, Shuapek, <laughs> or go to his website at Shuapek.com. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Dude, such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact FOMO. at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.